My Year of Bad Sex, written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Part 6. Happy now? You've had a taste of sex. The balls are rolling. The relationship with Angelo didn't exactly blossom into what I'd hoped for. I guess I didn't measure up to what he'd wanted when he spotted me cycling naked through central London and asked our mutual friend Kevin for my details. Or maybe that's all he needed from me. I couldn't tell. Enigmatic was Angelo. He floats into view and floats off again, as Kevin said. He didn't seem to want to repeat our first encounter, except he did say he'd be keen on having a third person present for a forehand massage. Fine, except you have no massage training or skills, I thought, forgetting that it probably wasn't about the massage for him. He said he'd try to find someone suitable. Given that I prefer younger men and Angelo liked older, that would make compatibility quite a challenge. Since I wasn't the one wanting a threesome, I left the research up to him. My friend Robert, an artist, had an exhibition of his paintings and sculptures, and I went to his private view near Old Street. As is often the case with art, I can appreciate the endeavour and the craft without necessarily being blown away by the objects. But I'm a mate, and so I say encouraging words of praise and hope that's enough. On this occasion there was a warren of rooms where other artists were also showing their work. Most left me underwhelmed, but in awe of the effort and dedication people had to pursue their own projects, often regardless of commercial success. But among all the objets there was one that caught my eye. At the end of a long corridor stood a young man lit by a dramatic shaft of light. Maybe thirty years of age, black and dressed in jeans and a pale blue linen shirt. As I approached him I noticed more and more how handsome he was. We exchanged smiles and began to talk. I asked about the work. It was by a friend of his, and he was minding the space for her. "'Your girlfriend?' I asked, all innocently. "'No, no. A friend.' I asked about the venue, the resident artists, the exhibition dates, the response from the public. As I talked, I looked at his face, his lips, his hair and glanced down at his open-necked shirt, where the two top buttons revealed a triangle of bare chest. He smiled a lot as he chatted away easily. We laughed about, <laughs> what, the absurdities of life. I introduced myself and told him I was there to support my friend Robert. He told me his name was Eugene. He was in demand to speak to other guests about his friend's paintings, so I left him for a wander round, pretending to be interested in pots and carvings and glass things hanging from the ceiling. I waited what I thought was an unthreatening amount of time before returning to Eugene. I just thought I'd come to say cheerio. It was nice talking to you. But we didn't say goodbye, not yet. We talked about art, about inspiration, about the artist's role in society and responsibility to tell his truth. He was a sweet, intelligent young man, and even without my ulterior motive I'd have enjoyed talking to him. It transpired that the reason he knew so much about art and cared so deeply was that, like his friend, he was an artist too. Aha! Not only that, he had some pieces of his own in another gallery right now. Oh, I'd love to see your work, I say, meaning I'd love to see your naked body. I'd love you to, he says, meaning I'd love you to see my work.
Where is it, I say, meaning, I will travel a thousand miles. Dalston, he says, meaning, Dalston. Oh, Dalston, that's easy, I say, meaning, I have no clue where Dalston is. Would you really come, he says, meaning, are you really that desperate? Of course, I'd love to, I say, meaning, yes, I am that desperate, and I will find out where Dalston is and crawl there over broken glass if necessary for the chance of kissing that sweet mouth and undressing you. Shall I take your email address, and then I can contact you about it, dates and venue and so on, I say, meaning, do you know what my real motivation is? Sure, he says, let's do it. And I have not the faintest idea what he means. A few days later, not wanting to appear too keen, I emailed Eugene, got a reply with the details of his show, and arranged to go. It was about a week later that I set off on what seemed an exciting trek through parts of London I'd heard about but rarely visited. Yes, I'm aware this makes me sound like a right old snob. I'm a West End boy, so if I can't walk there, it's a bit of an adventure. Bethnal Green, to me, sounds as exotic as Timbuktu. And yes, I have been there, by the way, he said snobbishly. I found the gallery, an elegant basement of white walls, strong lighting, paintings and sculptures sparsely positioned, all very calm and appealing. I was there, bang on time, and as I half looked at the art, Eugene appeared at the top of the stairs, and almost ran down to greet me, smiling broadly and full of apology for his lateness. We had a hug. Oh, that was nice. And then we started talking. And talking. And talking and talking and talking for five hours. At the end of that conversation, I still didn't know if he was gay. I know, I know, I could have asked him, are you gay? Or, less controversially, are you straight? But I didn't want to seem intrusive. Usually there are clues. Boyfriend, girlfriend, RuPaul, etc. We talked in great complex arcs of thought about ideas, beliefs, art, philosophy and life. We had a lovely, lively and fascinating discussion, and were often in agreement. Not about the naked bike ride, or naked swim, or naked yoga. He was surprised to hear about those, and rather embarrassed. Not keen to participate. We stood by his one piece in the gallery for a long time. It was a wooden depiction of something obscure that has totally slipped my mind now, but I was engaged and involved, curious and complimentary about it, asking about the creative process, the choice of materials, the reasons for the form and the colour, and the, and I kept going almost manically, asking more and more questions about the bits of wood cut and painted and hung on the wall. I did listen to most of what he said, and tried to dial down both my cynicism and my lust. Really? I see. Oh, right, yes. And so so this part here, yes, right, right. Symbolising the, yeah, yeah, the struggle between the, um, uh, and the, and the, okay, great. And that bit there, the blue shape that's obviously connected in some way to the, to the red shape, a kind of, uh, there's a, there's an energy, a, a sort of essential, um, you don't have to talk a lot of bullshit. You just want to get into my boxes, don't you? That's what I half expected him to say. And my answer would have been, yes. And yes! But the conversation spun on and on. After we'd exhausted all the artistic clichés, I suggested lunch. Eugene agreed. We walked to a Spartan cafe near a canal. The kind of place with not much choice of food, lots of free papers, long tables and benches, and guitar music playing to disguise the sadness in the air. 
the fact that there wasn't a woman breastfeeding a baby came almost as a surprise to me. I bought us plates of food, I think red cabbage and endamame beans featured, and at least the coffee was strong. Our talk continued. How's your cabbage? Are you gay? No, I just couldn't fit it seamlessly into the banter. I talked about my ex and made it clear that he was younger than me, he had been a teacher, he had left me, and so I was alone. None of these crumbs was picked up. The nearest I could come to a full frontal assault was, So, Eugene, are you... are you... in a relationship? No, he said, although I've had them in the past. He made it sound like an infection that had cleared up after treatment. Having a partner would require energy and focus. I'd rather put that into my work. Hmm, right, yeah. I nodded sagely and pushed my beans around the plate and noticed over his lovely shoulder that, ah, a young woman had taken her infant from its pushchair and was unbuttoning her blouse. My art comes first. Any relationship would be a distraction. Get in the way. Really? Get in the way of nailing some bits of flotsam together and slopping some paint on? Really? A relationship might inspire more creativity, I thought uncharitably. I mean, Van Gogh and Francis Bacon and Picasso and all the great artists used the pain and suffering they experienced in their hearts to inspire their work, no? Perhaps a little emotional turmoil would invigorate a productive streak, so get your kit off. I'd invested half a day on this quest and journeyed east to Zone 4, and I wasn't giving up yet, like a dog with a boner. But I was getting nowhere. Finally, the conversation had dried. Stalemate. And so we parted with another brief hug, and I gave him the tiniest of kisses on the cheek. But it felt special. A treat. My lips on his skin. Vague promises were mouthed about being in touch, but so non-specific that it would be the simplest thing to let them slide into oblivion. All the time we'd been talking, I so wanted to stroke his face, his neck, unzip his top to see what was under his shape-shielding clothes. All I dared risk were three or four dabs on his arm to make a point, a point about the grain on the wood or the exact shade of the paint. As I headed back to London, I felt glum and forlorn, a bit weepy, very lonely too. Meanwhile, prompted by Gabriele's protocol, I had requested a home testing kit, which arrived in the post. I did the just-a-little-prick part to get a blood sample for the file. I do wish nurses would still say that, and I've told them it's disappointing that the standard phrase these days is just a little scratch, but there you go. I sent my samples off, blood and swabs from the mouth and the bum. A few days later came the results. All negative, as expected. But even so, it was a tense few seconds scrolling down through the various conditions I didn't have to get to HIV negative. Well, how could it be otherwise? Try as I might, I wasn't getting laid. I left it a couple of days after my East London odyssey and then emailed Eugene. Hi, Eugene. Thank you for welcoming me to see your work in the exhibition last week. I really liked your piece, but more than that, it was great to have the chance to talk to you about your art. What a luxury to sit and talk for, what was it, five hours. Thank you for sparing me so much of your valuable time. You know, as well as enjoying our fascinating conversation, I kept wanting to kiss the back of your neck. This probably comes as no surprise to you, but since I wasn't sure how to say it then, I'm telling you now. 
You are a very handsome man, Eugene. However, don't feel you need to reply. Anyway, regardless of that, I'd still love to see more of your work when there's another chance, so please let me know. Meanwhile, all the best, Jonty. I waited, and waited, and ten days later I received a reply. Hello, Jonty. I would like to begin by apologising for the late reply. Brackets, because you freaked me out, you old perv, was the underlying message I read. After reading your email last Friday, I wasn't sure how to reply, or whether to. Therefore, I decided to wait until this Sunday evening. Brackets, that's the time I do all the unwanted chores, such as the week's ironing, cutting my toenails, putting the rubbish out, changing the cat litter, and telling old leches to back off. I appreciate the conversations we had. Brackets, well, the one I thought we were having about art, not whatever weird internal dialogue you were engaged in. The truth is, I'm not interested in guys. Brackets, especially ones older than my father. I'm also not interested in girls, apart from one important person. Brackets, she's fictional, by the way. I am waiting patiently for her, wherever she might be. We are childhood sweethearts. That's why I haven't dated in years. Brackets, you are very odd, but I can see you're not harmful, so I'm trying to be kind. My final exhibition of the year is at the Corn Hall Gallery in Hoxton. See the attached flyer. I'll be showing two small works. Unfortunately, I won't be going to the opening, because I will be working. Brackets, so don't bother showing up. Please, really, just don't. You've embarrassed me enough. I only spent that time with you. Was it only five hours? It felt longer, and I hate endamami beans because I thought you were going to invest in my art, buy my piece, blue on wood, it's only £2,000. Stay well. Brackets. Stay well away. Eugene. Sigh. Perhaps I should stick to men who are at least gay. My Year of Bad Sex is written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. The music and studio production are by Andy Mills. My Year of Bad Sex is a Protocol production. <laughs>